Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the SEC Morning Report. I am Blaine Gilmer. This is Southeastern 14, your home for daily SEC sports coverage. And, man, we are right here at the end of college football season, at least the regular season. We're working our way towards the SEC championship, and we know what teams are going to be in the SEC championship now. After the week 11 results, we're moving on to week 12. But first, we have to go back and examine what we learned about each and every team in the SEC. So we'll do that as we always do here on Mondays. Make sure you like, subscribe, turn on notifications, all that good stuff. And we're going to get right into it after this word from our sponsor here, Bet Online. We have partnered with the Believe Network, guys, and you need to partner with Bet Online as a result of that, guys. It's where Believe gets all of its odds, its trends, its statistics in terms of the betting landscape. And we love working with them. So make sure you check out betonline.ag, guys. The last of the major pro sports leagues, the NBA, is in full swing now. Also, college basketball is rolling. So there's lots of hoops action for you to wager on. If you want to uh, lay a little bit extra aside on a basketball game, on a college football game, on an NFL game, UFC fight, uh, NHL game, whatever you want, it is there at Bet Online. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action when it comes to all those sport, different sports, and they're in full swing right now. Bet Online is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops action uh, that you want, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to the Bet Online. Dot ag website today and remember to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v all caps b-l-e-a-v believe for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts we usually start in alphabetical order we kind of are with one of these teams we aren't with another one what we learned is that alabama and Georgia will be facing each other in the SEC Championship. Georgia clinches the East with its win over Ole Miss, and Alabama earlier in the day on Saturday clinched the West with its win over Kentucky. Now, what we've learned about Alabama specifically is that Tommy Reese continues to call games and adapt this offense to the strengths of Jalen Milrow. Milrow's getting better and better with his confidence of being able to throw the football now when it when you talk about the way that Kentucky busted on some of those routes and left people wide open, uh, there's not a whole lot of confidence you have to have when it comes to throwing the football because I mean it was it was crazy the amount of just bust that Kentucky had on the back end. Um, so not not real. You don't have to be great uh, when it comes to the, some of those throws, but what he does is the thread of his legs is what makes those busts be wide open. He'll start to take off to run. A safety will come up, not stay deep, and then there's somebody running wide open on the backside. So uh, Jalen Milrow, Tommy Reese, uh, that that Alabama team, I think, continue to get better and better. The biggest thing I think you take away from the Alabama game, zero sacks of Jalen Milrow. Uh, so that was one of the – maybe the first game all year, I think they didn't give up a sack and. You know, that's a big deal because all year it was, can they protect Milrow? Can they protect their quarterbacks? Uh, Caden Proctor, that offensive line struggling to, to pass protect. 
So Alabama continues to get better and better. They were impressive defensively, uh, really stymied Kentucky, even without uh, Deontay Lawson, Jalen Key. They had a great day offensively without Jermaine Burton on that side of the ball. So Alabama looks like a team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with as the SEC championship rolls up here. Uh, of course, they still have a couple games left. They get a cupcake next, this week with Chattanooga, and then they have to play the Iron Bowl, which – uh, based on how Auburn's playing right now, and we'll get to them in just a little while, it may not be a cakewalk. Uh, Auburn playing some good ball under Hugh Freeze right now, and we know that the Iron Bowl is always crazy. Now, let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia, quite simply, in my opinion, with Brock Bowers healthy, Lad McConkey healthy, Amaris Mims healthy, all on the field at the same time offensively, I think they may be the best offense in the country. Um, they're so dynamic in terms of being able to run the football. Carson Beck makes nothing but good decisions with the football. And you put Brock Bowers on there, like I said, at the same time as Ladd McConkey, and it's a nightmare. You saw that on McConkey's first touchdown. The two safeties go down the middle on the play action uh fake. You know, Beck fakes it on the toss to the to the boundary, tight end releases down the middle of the field. So two safeties go with Brock Bowers down the middle of the field, and then here comes Lad McConkey in a post, and and Carson Beck just drills it in there. Kendall Milton's playing the best football of his career right now. He's 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 healthy. Um, he's running the ball with authority. Dejan Edwards brings the brings the quickness. Milton brings the thunder. It's kind of a one-two punch that Georgia has historically had two different type of running backs that complement each other very very well. When Georgia is very good. And now you're seeing that out of Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards, that offensive line, when Kirby Smart said, hey, we're able to rotate three tackles and three guards through there for the majority of the game and get things going. Guys, that's just a luxury that that most – even Alabama doesn't have to be able to do that, I mean, and be, be confident in it. I mean, there's not many teams in the country and say, hey, we're going to go in here and we're just going to plan to play seven offensive linemen and play them – a lot during during the game that it that is a that is a big big luxury for Georgia the, the concern that Georgia had was with Jamon Dumas Johnson out the experienced inside linebacker uh, and it did show its rear its head early the inexperience of two freshman inside linebackers CJ Allen and Raylan Wil Raylan Wilson now CJ Allen has played a lot this year but still had a couple busts uh, in there early uh, th those really allowed Jackson Dart and Quinshot Judkins to take advantage of a couple of things, hit Caden pre-scoring one time when Ray Wilson didn't go with a kind of an out-and-up wheel route almost uh, there for the tight end up the sideline and put Ole Miss in position to score a couple early. But after that, adjustments were made, and we saw Nazir Stackhouse, Zion Logue, all those guys in the middle really shut down the interior run game. They played things on the perimeter much, much better with um, – you know, having having Chaz, Chaz Chambliss uh, play well, Taiki Smith fitting well from the safety position, flying around out there. Um, we talked about how that was a key going into this one. How would they play the perimeter run game of Ole Miss? And ultimately, they were able to just show that, hey, if you are not a complete football team, you don't have it together offensively and defensively, Georgia is going to expose you and they're going to be able to uh, you know, do it in convincing fashion. And Georgia played a tremendous ball game, especially that night. That night home environment is tremendous. So Alabama, Georgia on a collision course. They both have 
business to attend to. Uh, Alabama, of course, with that Iron Bowl game at the end of the year. Georgia now on the road to Tennessee in a tough environment, and then they play a Georgia Tech team at the end of the year that you can't just totally overlook because Buster Faulkner and company have them playing well over there in terms of offensively. They're able to, to do some things over there. They got to go on the road. So two road games here to end the year for Georgia before the at SEC championship. So the work's not finished, but uh, now we know who's going to be in the SEC championship game. A couple teams that won't be in the SEC championship game, uh, but you know I do have a ton of respect for how they're playing at this point in time. Let's start with Missouri. Missouri Tigers uh, really sec in the second half put the beat down on Tennessee in terms of physicality up front. Uh, I think they, they played with more desire than Tennessee did. They, they strained a little bit harder. They, 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 we know Cody Schrader ran harder than, than the defense for Tennessee was willing to, to put it out there and tackle them in space. It was, it was not very good for Tennessee in terms of their eye discipline. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz and company really hurt them on some of the, the play action stuff that they had through the air. Uh, Tennessee has been – very, very rough uh, in pass coverage most of the year, especially with Kamal Haddon out now. They did have one pick, but that was because of uh, that was because Luther Burden, you know, failed to continue his route all the way across the middle, kind of behind a referee over the middle of the field. But when it came down to it, Brady Cook and company had pretty much everything they wanted, and Cody Schrader, uh, I, you know, said this in the in the predictions we're releasing for. Missouri and Florida he he just rolls through people like a Sherman tank man I mean he is absolutely downhill 100 miles an hour going out and making plays this is the guy who was at Truman State at Division II school a couple years ago and now finds himself with over 300 yard 300 all-purpose yards in this game 200 rushing over 100 uh, receiving in this game Tennessee just got lost, guys, on the back end a lot. But this is about Missouri right now. Missouri is a complete team in in terms of being able to stop the run. They held Tennessee to 83 yards rushing. Um, they they don't give up big chunk plays on the back end. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz has got these guys playing in such a way that they went toe to toe with Georgia at home. And really, I think have established themselves as a legit top ten football team. I thought that. Listen, I, I thought Tennessee would win that football game, and the reason why is I think Georgia has a tendency to beat people twice, uh, mentally, physically, kind of tear you down after all the preparation that goes into a game to try to beat Georgia, and especially in the fashion that, that Missouri did. I, I questioned, okay, how will they be able to bounce back and things like that? But, man, they, they proved me wrong in terms of their maturity, their ability to – Listen, I thought Tennessee would have a little bit more talent in certain positions than, than Missouri, but Missouri's front offensively and defensively dominated that football game, and I think that's the big difference there. And then Brady Cook, Cody Schrader making plays with their legs and then sprinkling in a little uh, Luther Burden, a little Theo Weiss, uh, the tight end, the freshman tight end over there. Missouri had it all working in that game and then defensively just continues to swarm to the football and plays extremely well in terms of being able to defend the run first, rally to the football, not miss tackles, uh, go wide open in space. So Missouri, I think you got to give them a lot of credit for what they were able to do this week in Como. That was an impressive 
impressive win by Missouri. What was uh, another impressive win was the Auburn Tigers. Uh, we saw that, hey, they've, they finally found a little bit of the passing game, and this was on the road. I questioned their ability to go on the road and be able to put together uh, four quarters of play. Um, Peyton Thorne, like I said, is not eye-popping numbers, uh, tw 12 of 20, 163, three touchdowns, but they found some explosives. Um, they found the ability to you know, execute in the red zone. Um, they also threw a couple picks, okay, uh, so they're, they're not immune to, you know, it's not perfect by any means, but boy, did they get that running game going. They rushed for 354 yards against this Arkansas defense that has been a good Arkansas defense. You had Jarquez Hunter go for 109, Peyton Thorne 88, and, and showed some toughness on one of those runs, lowering his shoulder, running over somebody for a touchdown. Damari Austin got back going for Auburn, and that's a big deal for them. He was hurt a large portion of the year. So that gives them a lot on their attack there. And then the weapons that we said, hey, who's going to step up and provide some, some big plays here for Auburn in the, in the passing game? Rivaldo Fairweather in the red zone, a couple of nice plays over there, and then Javaris Johnson continues to be that target. So Auburn gets his chance to kind of start rounding into form, and they're – don't look now, but – you know, they've got the opportunity uh, to potentially finish this thing off with eight wins because um, they'll have the Iron Bowl out there. They got New Mexico State this week, a good football team that they can't overlook. New Mexico State plays a good brand of football, has a good quarterback, but I think they're going to be able to, to win that one at home, and that'll set up an Iron Bowl matchup with an Alabama team that we said is very good, but I'm telling you, defensively, Auburn is, is is playing really well. They have all year. Uh, and then you talk about, you know, the, the offense starting to be able to complement that, um, things of that nature. You know, they got it done on special teams as well with Keontae Scott with a big, big, uh, big return over there for a touchdown on the on a punt. So Auburn playing really, really well. Two teams that got big wins uh, in terms of blowout wins, South Carolina and Texas A&M, but it couldn't be any different how things went afterwards, okay? Uh, even despite a big win, Jimbo Fisher is out at Texas A&M. Shane Beamer's rolling right along and doing what he's continuing to, to have done the last couple of years is have South Carolina playing its best football late in the year. Um, they, they have a big win over Vanderbilt, and part of that is because they're they're healthy, guys. They had uh, Xavier Leggett. They had Amraheem Brown. They had Omega Blake all healthy at the same time on the field, which hasn't happened uh, for a large portion of this year. Um, they had Simon at tight end be able to be productive. So can they carry that over to a home game this weekend against Kentucky? I think they can, and I think what we learned is, hey, Shane Beamer is able to to continue to get his guys to play hard. Now it's not always going to be be pretty, and they're they're gonna they're when they play teams that are definitely more talented than them. South Carolina is going to fold like a cheap lawn chair most of the time. However, when it's a team that where they're they're able to bump up their their game against, or they're definitely uh you know the, the same or even a little bit better than talent wise, uh, South Carolina can take care of business, and I think. It, with the Kentucky coming in, that's going to be interesting. But Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, that that record buyout of their $76.8 just for him. And then you talk about the buyout for the assistant coaches. This is going to be a 
you know, the $125 million move when you talk about a buyout for another coach and thing coming in, all this kind of stuff. Listen, it just never worked out for Jimbo Fisher. They were never able to go forward offensively, modernize themselves. It looked like they were playing uh, in quicksand most of the time. It, it looked like it was just an offense that was just bogged down in molasses. And even with a nice victory over uh, Mississippi State this weekend, the the people, the powers that be, so to speak, decided they'd had enough of Jimbo Fisher and that era of Aggie football is now over. Uh, they'll be paying for it for quite a while. That buyout, like I said, is humongous, and it will last, I don't know, what, six, seven years uh, over there. So he'll be on the books there for the Aggies for, for quite a while, but they have decided to rid themselves of the Fisher era over there. Uh, Jimbo, I'm sure, will be on TV. He'll find some things to do. He'll enjoy that 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 money, so you don't have to feel sorry for Jimbo. But now it's incumbent upon Texas A&M to find the right guy. And we'll see, I think, Dan Lanning, Mike Norvell, Mike Elko, Lane Kiffin, all are guys that I would call and check in on. Speaking of Lane Kiffin, uh, man, it, he can really design uh, a couple of, you know, the open, a scripted 15, 20 plays to open up a game. He, he's really, really good at that. We saw the kind of talent that uh, Jackson Dart, Quinchon Judkins have against that Georgia defense, some of the playmakers. They just weren't able to hit early on a couple of explosives that could have maybe changed the momentum of the game to Trey Harris, uh, to to a couple, to Dayton Wade. A couple of those guys you know, missed a couple of opportunities to connect there, but they were able to run the football well early and then just didn't have the, didn't have the horses to run with the thoroughbreds down there in Athens, those those monsters that Kirby Smart has all over the field. Lane Kiffin is a good football coach. Lane Kiffin has matured a lot. Lane Kiffin also has a little bit of the Lincoln-Riley syndrome where he's never had a defense that can hold water um, even when he has a really, really good offense. Part of the problem for uh, Ole Miss was, hey, they couldn't really – play complimentary football and stay in, in what they wanted to do because the defense, it was quite apparent early on uh, with the first four drives, I believe, for Georgia resulting in touchdowns that they, they couldn't stop them. They, they were, there was nothing they could do to, to thwart Georgia's offensive attack. So that takes you out of your rhythm, out of what you're wanting to do offensively because there's so much pressure that you have to score every single time. I think you give Lane Kiffin a, a place, and eventually it's going to happen where he has elite offensive and defensive linemen uh, and and you know is able to to play somewhat semblance of of complementary football, uh, and he's going to win big somewhere. But you know we'll see when that happens for Kiffin. Uh, maybe Texas and makes the call. But Ole Miss, I think, is one of the better offenses in the entire country when everybody's healthy. However, uh, they they missed some guys on the offensive line after the the uh, Micah Pettis hurt himself during the week. The tackle that was in for him to start the game for Ole Miss, he went down after a couple plays there. So uh, you you can't be down two offensive linemen against Georgia and pretend that you're gonna you know hold up the the whole game. They they came out strong, weren't able to finish. So that is Ole Miss, Kentucky guys against Alabama, uh, just you know not able to to put together any kind of consistency. There were times where they they took the ball down the field and had some nice long drives. They scored three touchdowns on Alabama, which they're only the third team this year to do that, uh, joining Texas and LSU. So there was some good there, um, but you know you can't turn the ball over, especially in your own territory. 
Um, you got to be better on third down than Kentucky was. And we just learned that, hey, inconsistency among Devin Leary, this passing game, uh, and, you know, Kentucky's offense as a whole uh, has been a problem. But I did not expect Kentucky just to make so many mental errors defensively, um, a couple busts early that that really just just hurt how how they could respond in this football game. Um, because there were times where Kentucky was able to, to, like I said, move the ball. There were times where they were able to put, possess it and end up punching, punching in things um, in, the, in the red zone, but not enough consistency, not enough complimentary football. Uh, Mark Stoops, you got a question, okay, has he, has he built everything he can build there at Kentucky? Would he even be a candidate for Texas A&M? But, uh, I mean, I'm just telling you that he's he's a good football coach, but the talent disparity is real uh, there. They've got to be able to find ways to get better uh, up front on both sides of the ball and got to eliminate those just gimmies that they gave to Alabama throughout the day there. Um, Arkansas, another school we mentioned, Texas A&M, got rid of Jimbo Fisher. I'm surprised Arkansas didn't get rid of Sam Pittman after the dreadful performance they had against Auburn. Uh, They couldn't stop the run. Um, They couldn't take care of the football. They couldn't produce anything offensively. And this is just a South, excuse me, this is an Arkansas team that continues to play poor on the offensive line, uh, continues to just not have its game together in terms of a game plan to be able to protect KJ Jefferson to be able to, to to be efficient in the running game and doesn't have explosive plays with the wide, wide receiving core. Um, we learned, I think, that Sam Pittman's time at, at Arkansas is is near to being over. The question is timing when this happens. Um, you got to think that hey, with with signing period coming up, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, I just don't see Sam Pittman being the coach at arkansas next year lsu what we learned about lsu is that lsu has squandered a heisman caliber type year for Jaden daniels defensively um even in this game they got shredded at times uh graham Mertz was able to throw it all over the yard um you know florida was able to run it all over the place on lsu Defensively, they they just don't have the discipline in terms of being able to to keep contain. Uh, they they get lost a lot on the back end. Florida was more physical than them at times. Um, but you talk about on offense, Jaden Daniels, what a performance! Uh, he, you know, I tweeted out, I believe, you know, a couple games in the last season. I, I said, man, Jaden Daniels is going to be one heck of an NFL quarterback. And people were making fun. They're like, well, who are you watching? All this, he's got all these problems, this and that. But the way that the league is going now, you need athleticism. You need the ability to put the uh, stretch the ball down the field. And Jane Daniels can do all of those things. He had a unbelievable performance in this game. A 700 total yards of offense for LSU. They had whatever they wanted. But like I said, Florida had 488. So LSU played just well enough to be able to stop what the Gators were were doing. Um, but they're lucky that Jaden Daniels had a tremendous performance because they gave up 35 points and almost 500 yards of offense in their in their own right on defense. Uh, listen, they're not able to they're not able to tackle in space. Um, you know, LSU isn't, but you talk about they're not disciplined. They, they had eight penalties for 63 yards. So some things that you would think Brian Kelly would definitely want to get cleared up going forward. But this LSU team now seven and three, despite having one of the better offenses I can remember 
uh, and maybe the best offense in in terms overall that I've seen since 2019 LSU. They're that good, or 2020 Alabama. It's that kind of dynamic offense that they have with guys like Brian Thomas, Malik Neighbors. Um, I will say this, though. We learned that Josh Williams, he wants to smoke a little bit. He went up there and absolutely laid the chin and domaki on Derek Wingo, a, a linebacker for Florida on a, on a play where I believe it was a little pop pass to Brian Thomas coming around on a little jet sweep pop pass. And he went to the edge and said, hello, Mr. Wingo, and popped him right in the chin knocked that six foot two, 235 pound inside linebacker on his tail and then told him about it as well. Josh Williams with a monster, monster hit on that young man. Uh, that, that's how you play football right there. That was, that was impressive in terms of, in terms of uh, Florida, we'll talk about them. Listen, the talent is just not there. Uh, Billy Napier has not been able to turn this roster over enough fast enough to be able to compete quick enough in my opinion yes i know that people say well he's recruiting well and things like that it's going to be same song different verse next year okay because they're going to bring in a bunch of young guys uh, they're probably going to bring in transfer portal guys how do those guys fit in and the schedule is absolutely gross it is so tough that schedule is for florida next year they have to win either at missouri this week or at home versus florida state who is a you know, playoff team right now as it, as it sits. And I don't see him winning either one, and that's to make a bowl game. And those 15 practices for Florida would be huge for some of the young players they're trying to roll with, things like that. Uh, they're in a position where, you know, Graham Mertz, you got to give Graham Mertz all the credit in the world. He, he's went out and balled out, played as well as he possibly can. Him and Ricky Pearsall, they put it on the line every single time. Like I said, they had some success offensively. They are able to design some things, but – the tackling was atrocious. Uh, the angles, the ability to to you know play the the zone keep, the things like that that Jane Daniels did. Uh, just you know, yeah, Daniels is fast, but I mean, my goodness, nobody's there to to play the quarterback at all. They're not filling the alley on the backside. All these these just basic football things that you have to do, especially at the SEC level, and continued bust on the defensive side so florida is uh, uh just no other way to say it but they're a really really bad program right now and i'm not sure when that's going to get fixed the only other team in the east that we got to talk about is vanderbilt i don't know that vanderbilt even belongs in the sec i think they should you know there should be a vote to just kick them out they're pathetic uh clark lee is not the guy i don't think they belong in the sec um, is there is there any way you can just trade uh, Vanderbilt and Michigan? Michigan is ticked off. They want to they want to come in and and uh, you know play in the SEC because they're ticked off at the at the Big Ten. I think Vanderbilt, uh, you know, they have a lot more success playing against Rutgers and Syracuse and all that. They're just absolutely awful. Can't do anything on either side of the football. Um, so what we learned is Vanderbilt shouldn't be an SEC team, guys. That is uh, our coverage here of every SEC football team here in. Week 11, uh, what we learned about them. We're looking forward to week 12. We got, um, we'll got, we have our predictions coming out a little bit later today. So like, subscribe, turn on notifications. Remember, we're presented by Bet Online. That's where the game starts and where you can go check out all your wagering news, uh, trends, odds, predictions, picks, all that kind of stuff. 
Go to Bet Online today. Thank you so much for tuning in here to Southeastern 14. I'm Blaine Gilmer. We'll catch you guys tomorrow morning for another edition of the SEC Morning Report. Make sure to stay tuned uh, later today here for the live show with Chris Lee and Gavin Schoenwald. All of the content here that Blake Lovell is producing for basketball as well. So like I said, I'm Blaine Gilmer. You can follow me on X using at BGilmer18. We'll catch you guys next time to talk more SEC football on your home for daily SEC sports coverage, Southeastern 14.